When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back for part two of the defense against the Jaguars. Obviously a very frustrating football game, but we had a good time in part one uh, talking to my friend Jordan Coe. Jordan, how you doing? Good, Ken. Glad to be here. Always a pleasure. He's at Ravens Sit Room on Twitter, and you can find his work uh, right here on filmstudybaltimore.com or on filmstudybaltimore.com, since you're probably in your car, and I wouldn't want you to you know, log on a computer right now. You might want to just kind of try and memorize that. Go, go, go there, and you can find the uh, him and Gabe Ferguson show, uh, The Situation Room, which usually comes out the, the night of the game, right? It usually does, but I was we're, we're, we're recording tonight, Ken, and I was uh, at the weekend concert last night. <laughs> All right. All right, man. Uh, so got got to recognize our sponsor here, Liquid Death, the water that will murder your thirst. Please give their product a try. They've been very good to us. Aluminum cans, uh, recyclable forever. Uh, if you're drinking out of a plastic bottle, water, even if that's good for you, it will end up in a landfill under today's economic environment. So please give their product a try. They've been good to us. I'll say that one more time. Uh, where can we start? Want to talk a little pass rush here? Yeah, it should be quick, just like uh, the Jacks <laughs> passing game, right? Uh, <laughs> the, you know, it, the Ravens are going to see more of what we saw from what the Jags did for the rest of this year, I think, no matter what hard stop. And and I'm glad it happened um, in this game. I'm glad it happened against a big-armed quarterback. We're going to see that with 
you know, down the stretch, no matter what, in a guy like Mahomes or in a guy like like Josh Allen um, and a guy like Joe Burrow. Um, so the Ravens are going to have to be ready for what a quick passing game with a strong arm quarterback. So not a quick passing game like Andy Dalton, but a quick passing game from a true strong arm quarterback is going to look like. Understand what kind of adjustments they need to make. At, at a minimum, I think that that gives them a shot on tape to have some sense of what that's going to look like um, and how to be ready for it. Because I thought the pass rush, when given the opportunity, looked good here. But Lawrence was getting the ball out as fast as he could. Yeah, I, it was it was absurdly quick uh, what he was doing. And he has the arm for it. We talked a little bit about this in part one. By the way, if you didn't listen to part one already, go download that. Listen to that. We uh, uh, we had a great conversation about a whole lot of things, a lot of game management decisions, a lot of blown opportunities for the defense that they can't be given it a pass just because the offense, you know, did so well. But uh, you're right; they they had the right quarterback to pull that off. You know, a guy who has a great arm can get the ball outside Burrow in a lot of ways. You know, he's a fairly weak arm guy, frankly, uh, for for a quarterback. But uh, but Lawrence uh, throws lasers; they're on target, and uh, when he does, that makes it difficult difficult opportunity for the Ravens in space, even though the Ravens are, are, uh, I don't think particularly bad at that, that area of defense. Um, the Ravens gave Lawrence ample time and space on 13 occasions. He didn't really burn them on that 71 yards on those 13 plays. So it's a, uh, you know, five and a half yards of play roughly there. There was a sack in there. The sack for the loss of 11 was after a very extended pocket time. You remember that one, of course, that didn't end up being a, uh, a fumble recovered by the Ravens. But Lawrence did um, complete 10 of 12 passes in there. But here's the big one. This is the category that really screwed the Ravens. The ball was out quick 16 times. Now, a ball out quick, let me give you a little bit definitionally here. ATS, a three-second pocket, or it would have been. Okay. A pressure, someone gets to the quarterback or gets to the quarterback's cone within three seconds and impedes the throw in, in any number of defined ways. A ball out quick is essentially anything else. So it's the pressure would have developed within three seconds, but it wasn't there at the time the throw was made. So it's very hard to defense that if the ball's out you know, very quickly in a time that where pressure has almost no chance to develop. Anyway, 16 times, Lawrence was able to do that for 131 total yards. So that's what, about 8.2 yards per play that they got on those uh, uh plays there so that was bad um anything about the quick passing game that really stood out to you yeah it, just the ravens lack of adjustment of what they did behind it to slow it down I mean, it was very obvious that lawrence was had a sense of from whatever the formation was what defense he thought the rave the back seven so to speak of the ravens defense back seven six five whatever number you want to call it um was going to be in in terms of how it was going to defense him and he had a look and it was one of those things where he was going to throw it to that spot if that guy was open. And it felt like in the moments when that wasn't open, that's when things broke down. That's why yeah. the Ravens were able to pick up the rest of those sacks. You know, he was scrambling. He was, you know, whatever that looked like. And there seemed to be no counter move on the Ravens back seven to take away what some of those looks were in big moments or a desire to just try and keep it in front of them in those instances um, and not get burned by what was a deeper, bigger, longer play. Um, and so that just, that frustrated me because it, at least you never saw the chess match of at least trying to make the Jags do more or do something that they weren't prepped for. They just got to do what they were trying to do all game long. So you, you want different personnel, I think, to drop the coverage if that's the case, because Roquan and, and, and Patrick Queen are the two people who basically, and, and you know Clark probably, 
if you want to drop a safety in the box, eliminate routes, play robber, do things like that. They, they could have done some things like that to to get Lawrence dancing around. I keep wanting to call him Dexter Lawrence, but he's but obviously he's Trevor Lawrence. You want to get him dancing around in the pocket a little bit. Uh, but it's uh, you know it's it's one of these cases where the guys who are there who could have done something to eliminate the routes, it's not necessarily the strongest part of that game. I mean, Roquan Smith is good. Um, Patrick Queen, you know, they, they still want to use primarily as a pass rusher because I think he, he brings you a, a good X factor as a pass rusher. And also, you know, another end of it is you're taking out one of the weaker elements of Patrick Queen's game, uh, which is still the coverage component. Yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, I definitely agree that like at, at its kind of like base, like that's that's not its strength. Um, but also some of that, it just is what kind of coverage you decide you want to play in. You know, the Ravens just decided that they weren't going to, and they haven't really let Smith and Queen play man together. Um, in some of those instances, they didn't kind of like use deception to kind of shade outside linebackers into some of those spots underneath it. They didn't change up what the coverage looked like. It was, it was mostly quarters and cover two almost all game long. You didn't see rotations into cover three or robbers or it just felt like they they could have baited Lawrence into some, some bad throws in those situations. And they just tried not to be terribly creative on the back end. The Ravens made a conscious choice to make a conscious choice now. And I'm not saying it's the wrong choice. I am not saying it's the wrong choice because right now the Ravens have so many injuries in the secondary. They're, they're not even really capable of fielding six defensive backs where they'd be happy with how they would play together. I don't think, but they have committed themselves to be a nickel every team and nickel every down team. And by doing so, that takes away a lot of the flexibility you have for coverage on the back end. I hated this from the first five years of the Pease era was that they only played 3% dime and quarter packages. Well, you've just got to have more flexibility with that in today's NFL. And that includes the Pease era of the NFL too. It was it was true then too. It's more true now probably. Um, you've, got, you've got a quarterback like Lawrence. It would be really nice to have a Kyle Hamilton playing weak side linebacker for you. It'd be really nice to have... Um, Marcus Williams back on the back end, have Geno Stone play in the other half, and have Chuck Clark be playing weak side linebacker, where his skills match up a lot more. You'd be you'd be you'd be making a lot less complaints about what Clark, how Clark is hurting the Ravens in coverage if he was doing it from the dimebacker spot. And I I don't know. I mean, the Ravens may get healthy at safety this year, and if they get Hamilton and Marcus Williams back, it's gonna be interesting to see if they go back to some dime. If they feel like they just can't they can't keep. Uh, both of the inside linebackers, as talented as they are, on the field for all the plays. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think that's spot on. They, the Ravens have decided that this is the direction that they're going to go in. But like you said, it it, it just handcuffs what they're able to do. Mm-hmm. At some point, though, you're going to have to make a decision to change that up. And, and whether or not it is your best package or not, you've played up to that point, right, 50 snaps or 45 snaps or 55 snaps in that same other look there's likely you're likely going to have to make some kind of adjustment for better or for worse, or you're going to get picked apart. And that that's going to happen in any sport, in any game that, that if you are playing the same defense or offense consistently over and over and over again, somebody's going to figure out what that looks like, you know, and in football, it's more complex because you have the front seven and your back seven. And there's a lot, you know, a lot that can play parts in those things. Um, but the flexibility and adjustments are going to have to come more quickly in games from the Ravens. Um, and, and there is a very, and I don't know if this comes from Harbaugh, you know, cause it very may, may well come from, from Harbaugh is there's a tendency 
to go back to whatever feels safe to these coordinators in those moments. And Greg Roman is a good example of this. Like he just defaults back to like first and 10 runs like this, like heavy package substitution, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Isaiah likely is out, he's going to stick with it. Right. And in this game, it felt like Mike McDonald was in the same situation where, well, we saw on tape, the cover two is going to take away X from Trevor Lawrence. We think our best bet is to stick with this. And he was picking them apart on that last drive. And you, you, you got to change something up, I think, in those instances. Well, I mean, you're playing, first of all, you're playing four down football against Trevor Lawrence, which is, which was difficult. And they converted a fourth and five and a fourth and eight. Perfect examples of when they wouldn't have gone for it otherwise, you know? And so uh, that, that was unfortunate in terms of, of where they were in the game that they're able to take advantage of, of, of playing those four down opportunities. But, but the second part of this is just the Ravens, I think, are going to have to decide that dime is their best coverage opportunity again at some point. But it's not going to be when Hamilton gets back because he's going right back to slot corner. They need him to fill that hole. Uh, and then it, it really has to be both of them have to be back. And for that to happen and nobody else to get hurt, I just think the chances of that is all pretty low. You know, they, Marcus Williams is at least practicing again. Kyle Hamilton was questionable for this game. They didn't practice this week. So maybe, you know, maybe he's closer than, than, than we think. And maybe three weeks from now, nobody's hurt. And, you know, there's a chance to move back to this and, and really, you know, put a good dime defense on when you really want to, like at the end of the game. Uh, the Ravens have one other option here too. And it doesn't involve taking Queen off the field and Roquan off the field. And that would be to go to some 32 dime. And I'd be happy with that. I, I think they, they you know, they could, you, with Hamilton on the field, you have all kinds of additional pass rush options anyway come from the slot. They've been rushing, you know, Marlon Humphrey effectively from the slot. And, uh, you know, they, they obviously have no real fear of doing it. Marlon Humphrey and Peters came on the same play at one point in this game. Did you notice that? I did not know. They, they, they sent them both on the same play. <laughs> that I mean, couldn't have been on purpose. That could not well, have been on purpose. No, I, th- I think it, I think it was on purpose. And, and it's like, that is a ballsy call. It's just one of, one of the things. So, uh, uh, After was, Peters went down last year, and the, the Ravens still continue to blitz Humphrey as much as they did, it drove me crazy then. So, like that that concept drives me crazy now. <laughs> right. Well, they got in, in this game. I, I I'm not sure how many times Marlon Humphrey blitzed. At least two. I mean, he got a sack, and he and he. I think he got a pressure on on this other one where Peters was also blitzing. So, um, he's he's you know he's more like Rex Ryan in some ways than than people give him credit for that he's willing to do that. Uh, they also, I think this was also a play action play. So Peters may have been anticipating run and he was in the backfield for that and not for the past. And, oh, I have a pass rusher. <laughs> yeah, so he's, that, uh, I, I hope that was yeah. <laughs> the design. But to go back to your comment about the 32 dime, yeah. I, I think what makes that potentially really effective as well is that Patrick Queen is an exceptional interior lever, leverage rusher. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're right that Hamilton gives you an extra edge in terms of his ability to rush the passer. But quite frankly, we've seen that, like you said, from Humphrey, Stone has been effective. Even Clark has been effective. You let Pepe Williams has been effective in the limited number of times he's been able to do that. When you let a guy rush off the edge like that, yeah. it's just going to create, like, you, you just have to be quick. You don't have to be great at it. And so, um, you know, that element of surprise can be beneficial. Patrick Queen's ability to be a legitimately good interior pass rusher in those instances and to work with the defensive lineman on stunts or cuts or angles and and get to the quarterback quickly and take him down in those situations, I think would make playing 3-2 dime okay. So 
the Ravens have had two instances. They, they put a little bit of 32 dime even last year. And in fact, the game that, that we saw together, though we, we did not get to sit together for that Oakland game last year, um, Las Vegas, sorry, Las Vegas. I still <laughs> want to call them the Oakland Raiders. But anyway, they Maybe had, your Chargers too. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they, they played some 32 dime in that game. They put a little more during the rest of the season. If, if you go back to 2001, they played a lot of 32 dime with Jamie Sharper. And, and how they ran it in 2001 was they had Jamie Sharper just roaming for a spot along the line of scrimmage, much like you're describing Patrick Queen would be, and finding a place. But Sharper was a turnover machine. He, he, he had, was involved in lots of forced fumbles, lots of tip balls that ended up being interceptions. Uh, had an interception himself in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, big interception at Arizona to win, win the game in 2000. Um, he just did a lot of things at, at a, at a good level that made 32 dime a good option. I want to go back one more to 2000. They played a bunch of 31 quarter. All right. So then you are, you only got four heavies on the entire field. And Ray Lewis was basically getting a chance to roam the line of scrimmage for a pass rush opportunity, but they would rush safeties. They would do all sorts of of things to, to change things up in that still incredible to me that that was like the regular third and four to third and six Marvin Lewis defense for that 2000 team. But they played it 55 times during the regular season. And it's, it's, it, it still boggles the mind when, it, when I, when I watch the 2000 games again and I just look for it to, you know, to show up on, Oh, there they all are. And, uh, you know, Ray Lewis is having to, having to, you know, find a spot along the line of scrimmage. I think Patrick Quinn could do it. And I think also Calais Campbell is probably the right guy to be the interior guy on such things. It does take away from him on stunts, but if you can get Patrick Queen running a pick for him, you can create things to happen. And it's not too far, even spread out. Uh, you know, four oh four, or or maybe it would be five oh five, even on a on a um, uh, along the line of scrimmage, that you would have a problem uh, still doing a stunt that involved Campbell crossing the face of a guard, say, and, and creating some opportunity. So lots lots of ways it could work. Um, the Ravens need to need to have all those options on the table for down the stretch because they 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 really need to figure out how they're going to defend passes not just for the rest of this regular season against some not so great quarterbacks but against in the postseason against some quarterbacks that will be a lot more talented. Well, and we've seen a, a limited number, and I don't think it's been a lot, but a, a small number of plays where Clayus Campbell's been the only defensive lineman on the field. That mm-hmm. there was a package with it was Houston, Calais Campbell, OA, and Bowser. All lined Six up times together. in this game. Yeah. Okay. So, so there are iter- So you're not that far away from a 32 dime situation or even a 31 dime situation mm-hmm. in those cases. And you can be flexible about what that looks like. And we've even seen Bowser be, I think there was a play. There were three receivers to the left. Bowser was the outside guy drops in coverage and basically took away the throw that Lawrence was trying to make a point. I think I made during part one of this, which is that it doesn't have to be your, your nickel corner if you're not getting quality play out of him and you're going to be in a zone you have other guys that could take away windows there if you defend behind it correctly yeah i i i don't disagree with that statement in terms of they can take away some throw they can take away a route it's just you you probably cannot stay with that threat in the same way so you're 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 uh you're you're it's it's still kind of a gamble and it's it's but it's but I and, and to me it's just gotta in today's NFL, teams are too sophisticated. There are too many coaches watching the game and the film too much to, to be doing the same thing no matter what over the course of even even 15 times in a game is too many on defense, I think, to run the same base play. Um eventually teams are gonna figure it out. And when they do, your defense is gonna suffer, no matter how good your players are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fair enough. 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about some deceptive elements. And I was supposed to have the pass rush by numbers ready, but I didn't. I realized that, that Morgan and I didn't enter that. I, I, I filled out the sheet, but I didn't, I didn't enter that yet, so I don't have it for you. Blitz is uh, nine plays included a blitz. That included two doubles, uh, but they uh, uh, had some reasonable success with only a couple of big plays. They did have a sack for minus five using Humphrey blitzing off the slot. Uh, they had another incomplete where Humphrey retracted the football. If Humphrey did blitz three times in this game, the third one was the double blitz, which ended up being a 12-yard play. That's the one I was talking about early, earlier when we had that. Uh, Patrick Queen and Roquan came on the same play. That was that beautiful 24-yard play to the left side where no one was in the secondary to, to, to cover that. So had a variety of results in there. Um, total... By now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of Liquid Death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down Liquid Death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take Liquid Death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take Liquid Death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. 48 yards on nine plays, so 5.3 yards per play. Nothing, nothing spectacularly bad. In, in, in this case, it's kind of good to have some differentiation of results, some variance of result, as we've talked about on previous episodes, that that helps the defense. Anything to, about the blitz that particularly caught your eye? No, because, you know, the Jags weren't looking to do kind of terribly long developing plays. And I, and so for all the criticism that I've given about the Ravens lack of adjustments on what they did on the back seven, I thought what they were trying the way the Ravens typically have and then have since the Rex Ryan, Wink Martindale defense is trying to be confusing on the front end of what that looks like. And the Ravens were smart in saying that's not the way that they're approaching this is that's not going to get home. That's not worth what we're doing. They just didn't make the secondary, the second half of that step of what they needed to, to be a little bit more deceptive about how they were trying to bring behind that. Yeah, and and uh, you know, limited tools is probably part of that. But I but I would agree. I think that that what they did with the blitz was good. The other thing is blitzing off the slot in this game, or blitzing from the outside where you have a chance for an unpicked up blitz. Even blitzing from level two with Queen, we have a chance for it not to get picked up. That's the way to blitz Lawrence because he gets the ball out so quickly. You better get home. You better get that pressure within two and a half seconds, not three, you know, as opposed to, to doing that. If you take away a read from him, you might be able to, to, to quickly get in there in that period of time. And then the play can break down. He can do some stupid things, hopefully. So um, that, uh, that I thought was very good about this game. What I don't think is as useful is stunts. And they did some stunts in this game four times. Uh, pass for eight, pass for eight, pass for 16, pass for 17. They did get one nice quarterback hit from Campbell. That was a nice low hard quarterback hit. It's just the kind of hit you want to get on the opposing quarterback if you don't get flagged for it. 
but uh, but it was a uh, the, the stunts take too long to develop for my liking against an offense like the Jaguars who is getting the ball out quickly. And, you know, down and distance makes a big difference in how you execute some of these and where mm-hmm. and when you do it. And if you've got the longer down and distances, that, that was what baffled me about that that third and 21 play yeah. is that like like one well, and especially in a world where you you know the other team has to play four down football like you mentioned earlier that's a situation where you play that like you would play it on second down instead of playing it like you would play it on third down and the ravens played it like they would typically play it on third down they needed to bring pressure force lawrence to get that ball out lightning fast not give him the time and let those guys get 15 yards down the field and if you miss a tackle in that instance you miss a tackle in that instance but i i'd much rather take that chance than lawrence being able to you know throw a dot in there you know 12 13 yards down the field you know i i agree entirely i mean i hated exactly what they did is exactly what i probably hated the most but even even if all you're doing for is basically giving up an automatic 10 yard gain let's say that I still think, you know, you might be better off taking a gamble, forcing a throw to come out early, you know, allowing some people to make a downhill tackle because you force a ball out early, even if it's, you know, a more difficult play in space. Just, there's so many more I positive agree. outcomes I can see there. Yeah. And and the opportunity for an overthrow being turning into a turnover. An interception, yeah. 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 Of course, we they had the overthrow that didn't turn into a turnover. But <laughs> that's it for another Day, we'll worry about that. They did five simulated pressures in this game. We'll we'll, we'll complain about that. Uh, 30 yards, 28 yards on those plays, so 5.6 yards per play. A quarterback hit by Campbell and a sack fumble by Bowser. That was still an ample time and space play. So it took a long time for that play to develop. Um, no, I'm, I've got the wrong play there. That was the that was the Campbell sack that was a uh, ample time and space. Oh yeah. yeah that so, was a really, really long yeah. developing play. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was a long developing sack on the on the Bowser play, but the but Houston got pressure to uh move uh Lawrence earlier in that one. So that was a that was a nice play anyway. Enough about the pass rush. Let's let's move on. We'll do some individual player discussion here because there's a lot of guys I think we still have not talked about on, on this that are really worthy about in this game. You, my friend, give us the first, and we'll we'll talk about that. All right. Well, I mean, I I, I thought Marlon Humphrey played another phenomenal game. I'll I'll start with him and and just you know give him his All Pro props for this year. I think he's been absolutely outstanding by by my personal perception, the best player on this defense. He did you know tackles for losses, sacks, his ability to defend passes, what his ability to move inside and outside. Just he continues to give it all to the Ravens in these games. And, you know, obviously durability and and being hurt in a few moments is you can see it when Marlon Humphrey gets hurt and it isn't on the field, how big of a drop off it is from his play. Um, And so hopefully, you know, hopefully he's healthy and, you know, continues to play at this level. But he's just he's just been phenomenal all year long. Yeah, that was it was really devastating to lose him and and lose him on the play where you didn't make the interception to win the game. And then the very next play is a is a fourth and fourth and eight or fourth and five. We keep getting that wrong. But the, but it was a fourth down that they converted right away. You know, when the when the game could have been over at that point, he did. He really did do it all in, in this game. One play that I really loved, and it's a play that Clark made with him. Q1-104, take a look at that play because it was the very first incomplete to Kirk on third and five, okay? And those two were both converging on Kirk. Kirk, alligator armed that ball, something awful. And basically he he was, I think, very afraid of taking a huge hit in that situation. Uh, it was a catch, a ball he normally catches pretty easily. 
and uh, he definitely kind of short-armed it and avoided the big hit from either player. That uh, ended up being, it would have been a catch about a yard past the stick, so it had been the kind of ball if he can hold on to, they keep the football, and and that was a really nice uh, turnover on downs there. But uh, he did plenty of other things well in this game, too. I thought he did a really good job of keeping plays in front of him and making the tackle. A uh, number of screens worked out that way. Uh, one to Kirk that went for minus two plus 13. You don't normally think of being an 11-yard game. I'm sorry, it was to Ingram as being a good result, but he kept it in front of him, forcing others to show up as Ingram tried to juke him. So that was something positive in there. Uh, I, I really like, there's a play towards the end of the game where he didn't get the credit for the tackle, but it was a two-yard play to Kirk on the outside at quarter three, 129. Uh, it was ended up being a two plus zero. He didn't, doesn't show up on the tackle result, but he directed him right out of bounds uh, and Kirk was having none of him. And, uh, and that was a nice, uh, nice play as well. Uh, the, the jet sweep that he and Owe sniffed out. And by the way, don't give all the credit from Marlon Humphrey on that play. Owe made that play too. He was right in the backfield and, and uh, Humphrey got the, uh, Got the juice from that squeeze, but uh, but that was a very sweet play by Adafi Owe. Yeah, well, and, and you know, the best way to measure how good of a game Humphrey had was Christian Kirk having no part in this game at all, really, until the fourth quarter. I think he had like 15 or 18, under 20 yards going into into that kind of last couple drives um, for this Jags team. And, and that was all Marcus, or Mar- Marcus, that was all Marlon Humphrey um, in that process. And it's just, you know, his ability to just be that shutdown guy wherever the Ravens need him is just incredible. Yeah, Lawrence only had eight incomplete passes the whole day. It was 29 out of 37. Five of them were to Kirk. So Kirk was only four or nine. And it was a combination of stuff, but it was a whole lot of Humphrey uh, making that possible. So it was it was, it was good to see. Uh, just a great game from Marlon. I, I, there's, there's so much to say about him. And obviously they missed him when they when they really needed him. I'll move on. I'll pick another player. And the, and the guy who always shows up in our star treatment when we talk about him is Calais Campbell. And we, we haven't talked about him too much so far. Um, the third and one play and the fourth and one play is is as great a pair of Campbell run defense plays as you'll see consecutively. But on third and one, he stood up Cam Robinson. Now, Cam Robinson was a top 10 pick not that long ago. He's an enormous man still, you know, 300 30 pounds roughly, he's 6'7", or whatever the heck he is, 6'6". He not only stood him up, he then shrugged off a chip block from that tight end Manhurts, number 84. Uh, And then he took down Hasty RM0 with Harrison. Good play by Harrison, by the way, on the edge on that play too, uh, to to not get, uh, uh, not either allow the, the outside to open up uh, but also turned his his block successfully, and then he was in on the tackle as well. But uh, Campbell was the guy who, who who made that happen by basically disregarding the two blocks <laughs> made against him and, and getting in there. Yeah, he, and his pass rush in this game was phenomenal. Obviously, yeah. the the sack that we did we have talked about uh, was a big play, and that was that was super delayed and one where you know Campbell just kept up in his pursuit. Um, you know, just what he brings to this defensive line, his ability to yeah. be flexible in these games, to be the only defensive lineman on the field. Um, good to see him be able to go back to Jacksonville and have you know, well, it's not a win, but at least a bit of a, a revenge or a really good quality game. Um, overall from him as a player was really nice to see. It's, it's felt a little bit like a farewell tour, tour this year at times for Clayus Campbell. And this was this was a great farewell to Jacksonville for him. 
Uh, when do the Ravens play Arizona? Do they get they get the, it's not is it in twenty three? I think it is actually. Yeah, it, it won't be this year. Yeah, I think it is in twenty three that they'll they'll play them. So maybe he'll, maybe he'll get one more chance at a farewell. We can we can only hope there's room for him uh, next year. Uh, or maybe we could not hope. Maybe we hope the Ravens sign the, you know, all the other plays they need to sign. Uh, I, I want to go back to that fourth and one play because I talked about third and one, but on fourth and one, he had the initial penetration. Now, a couple of things about a fourth and inches play like that, because that's all it was, is you've got to reestablish the line of scrimmage, which he did. And then somebody else has to be able to have the room to get in there. And you saw what happened. You know, bodies are down. It's easy to crawl over the bodies, get the first down the way that Gus Edwards scored the touchdown for the Ravens. You know, basically, he came down on top of bodies and he just reached out the football. They had it. Well, Lawrence um, was stuck behind whoever was. And who was it? I didn't. I didn't even see the offensive lineman that that he stood up on the play. But he reestablished the line of scrimmage about half a yard back, and then it looked like that was starting to break down. Then Roquan Smith followed up and got the twist down that the Ravens needed to to, to finish off that play. Campbell still amazes me with his ability. And I, I know I've, I've heard a lot of things about him wanting to play lower to play greater, but he, he, even when he didn't even get into his stance, and sometimes he looks like an old man out there, which I guess he is for NFL terms, trying to get down to his stance, and he still looks very effective even when he starts to play standing up. Yeah, I, I think the, mo- the thing that struck me most about the fourth and short play was how frustrated Trevor Lawrence was at the end of the play. And I think that speaks to you know, not how easy, but how typically it's just how difficult it is to stop a fourth and one play in that instance. And Lawrence came off the field and had this look on his face. Like, I don't know how I didn't pick up that first down. It seemed mm-hmm. like we were like, like that, that should have happened. He was really incredibly frustrated by it. And, and on QB sneaks, sometimes when they're beat, you know, they're not, they're not super frustrated because it's obvious, right? Like, like the center doesn't get the push. Like it's just, it's dead on arrival. The snap was right. bad, whatever that is. Lawrence thought he was going to have a chance. And the only reason, like you said, that that play got stopped was first and foremost, Calais Campbell. And so just huge tribute to him. Yeah. He, he ran it between guard and tackle. So, so they had, they had both a gaps stuffed as, as you, you, know, you typically do. And that forces the quarterback usually to try and do something difficult, try to do something to move a gap outside. And, you know, it, it, it is a much more difficult play than what the nose tackle and defensive tackle often have to do in the a gap, which is just, all you got to you, you turn shoulders at that point, and if the quarterback really tries to go in either a gap, he's probably going to be sol. But the but the uh, the guy on the outside then has to also make a more difficult play, and basically either beat a guard straight up, or even sometimes beat a tackle straight up, or or penetrate in a way that that is going to be more difficult. And Campbell did it, and and uh, you know it's it's just great to see the Ravens be able to stop it with that kind of relative ease on on that play. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Who's your next guy? I'll go with Tyus Bowser, who I thought has been phenomenal since he has come back from his injury. He's a guy that, you know, for it certainly seems like the Ravens have had a handful of guys that have come back from injury that have just not quite been exactly what they were beforehand. Tyus Bowser has been everything he was and potentially more um, since he's come back. I mean, and and you see it at, at both levels. It's not just a pass rush. He's been phenomenal as a pass rusher this year. He's been underrated a, in his career as a pass rusher, um, but his ability to continue pursuit of the ball, the fumble on Lawrence, you know, obviously big plays, but watching Tyus Bowser and the, and there wasn't, there was a big moment in, um, 
in the Carolina game where he had a really good pass defense against the tight end. And there wasn't a play in this game where he had kind of like an exemplary, like in space as a pass defender game, but his ability to take away those angles to understand his obligations and roles and responsibilities in those zones when you're watching it um, off the broadcast film. So I, I, I was able to watch the sideline all 22 before this conversation, um, his ability to take away those plays when that's his responsibility are really what makes him a different linebacker for this team. I think that's one you just what you just mentioned is really the important thing is that they didn't throw at him in this game. That that right there tells you he's taking away things uh and, and probably creating opportunities for others at the line of scrimmage to 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 try and make it more difficult for for uh Lawrence to throw a good ball. Uh g- great combination. I mean it, he really put on a clinic on setting the edge in this game in some ways. He's on the on the offensive left side, he kept his right arm free, which is exactly what you're supposed to do. Wards off again the left tackle Robinson, an absolutely enormous man, much bigger relatively than the than the Campbell Robinson size, which is a pretty even matchup. <laughs> you know, you you have the Bowser Robinson size, which is it's just amazing. He can he can take care of him with one arm, keep his arm on the outside, and then shed him to make that tackle. It was, it was not just like he was keeping a positional relationship that that would then force the play to the inside, which would have been great. It's it's just he he was also able to to, to make that play. So uh, the other thing I love about him is is he is a fast cleanup player in two ways. We saw him as a pass rusher in this game, but we also saw him come from the offensive right side to tackle Hasty on what was effectively a run left that went for minus two. Love that kind of across the across the formation play. We saw it from some of the Jaguars in this game, by the way. Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen both looked pretty good in terms of being quick across the formation. It's something I, I often will um, associate with really good safety play from the edge. Ed Reed kind of doing that or, or uh, other players who are, who are you know rushing off the edge. But it's, it's, it's rarely it does end up being an outside linebacker unless they don't block that spot from behind. And this is a case where the Jags did not do it and they paid the price. Yeah, definitely. And his edge setting, he just – his like Marlon Humphrey as a guy that is just doing it at every level of every way that the Ravens are asking him to. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 I'm a, I'm a, probably a little frustrated at the Ravens rotations and think that some of these guys might be able to play a little bit more and be able to squeeze a little bit more juice out of them, especially at the outside linebacker position. I think Bowser has maybe earned that. Also that being said, you know, I'd rather they get healthy and let them, you know, be healthy when they get to the end of the year and use them to that kind of maximum um, opportunity as they get to get into the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, uh, I agree. So let's see, you, you took, you took Bowser, right? Yep. Okay. Let's talk about uh, Broderick Washington. We said we'd talk about him in the, in the first episode, Uh great play on the very first play of the game to, uh, you know, basically bull Fortner, a guy, a guy was very high on the draft, by the way. Uh, he, he, <laughs> he went way too early. Uh, you know, he's one of the guys who makes you think maybe the Linderbaum pick is not a reach or even maybe the Cole strange pick isn't that much of a reach. When you you get a guy like Fortner going, I think at fifty one or something in this draft, it was very early that he that he went. I know, uh, but he beat him easily for for a, a sack minus eight. Uh, good job on Matabike on that play too to bull the right guard and set up that front side pressure, which actually made Washington's job a little easier. But Washington had five tackles in this game. Three of them were defensive wins, so that means they didn't have the down and uh, um, the relationship of total yards down and distance, and it's 
40% on first down, 60% on second down, and 100% on third down you need to get. Uh, Washington's just been playing very fine rotational football. I think if this were a different team, I think he'd be playing a lot more because he'd be one of the real stars for the defense. He's playing on this team, and he has not got as many snaps as he probably would playing somewhere else. Yeah, he's played... I mean, his strength at the point of attack has really stood out to me. You know, a guy like Travis Jones, and we saw it in the preseason when Travis Jones was playing, and I know we're not talking about him right now, but he's been relatively inconsequential in both wins and losses. He's not getting beat all the time. He's not making splash plays. You know, Travis Jones is kind of doing his job as nose tackle. Um, Broderick Washington has kind of been the guy that I think a lot of people thought Travis Jones was going to be, where you see real power in some of these bull rushes, really kind of pushing some guys out of the way, his ability to kind of separate with his arms, you know, some space to these offensive linemen, yeah. and then use that leverage to jump up and, and knock passes down. I think, you know, I, I don't know what the pass defense stats are for defensive linemen for this team, but Washington has had a stunning number of pass knockdowns, I felt, um, so far this year, which shows great awareness too, because you've got to have your eyes on the quarterback in those situations to be able to get your hands up or to be in the right, the right place in the right kind of jumping point um, to be able to knock some of those passes down as well. Um, we saw a lot of that from this, from him in this game and just really impressive to see from, from a guy that, you know, I don't think a lot of people expected much from including me heading into this year. Yeah. Washington leads the team with four batted passes at the line of scrimmage for what yeah. it's worth. Uh, Doesn't Cam surprise me. Campbell has three. Uh, Pierre Paul has three. He had consecutive plays where he had him. So Jason Pierre Paul in a very limited number of snaps has, has done exceptionally well. So, but Braddock Washington even has fewer pass rush snaps than Jason Pierre Paul does on the lead on, on the year, unbelievably, uh, with, with what's going on. So yeah, uh, I've, I've said all I really want to about Washington. I love the fact that he's here. He's played 40% of the snaps for this team. I, I think Quite possibly the Ravens may have a decision to make at the end of this year, whether they want to try and extend him, kind of stay young um, on the interior line. Wouldn't I mean, I don't think he'll make a lot of money, but I think this is an opportunity to, to get a guy for three years at a reasonable salary where it's a discount for both both the team and the player. Yeah, it feels like a very Lawrence guy kind of re-signing for the Ravens you know, in terms of what you would expect in terms of contract and expect in terms of what he brings to the defensive line. So I, I would... Hope be optimistic, or I think it'd be pretty unlikely that he doesn't come back. I think it would require Campbell coming back and a handful of other things kind of conspiring for him not to return next year. Oh, he'll, he'll be next year, will be his fourth year. So the question oh, is, do you okay. want to extend him after the third? So he, he's critical to the Ravens next year, clearly, because they probably they might not be with they might not have Campbell. Yeah, I was thinking, I, I was thinking this was his last year. Um, so would you extend him early? Depends on what happens with Lamar. Sure. I mean, in Lamar's contract, every everything depends on what happens with Lamar and Lamar's contract. Which is so, I I conversation about that aside. The only thing that annoys me about it is the uncertainty that it leaves to the team and an ability to make other decisions that they might need to be trying to make right now. Um, all of the rest of that, I'm fine with. <laughs> right, right. All right. Well, it'll be interesting because they've they've obviously got a lot of players uh, that are that are that are on the ropes right now or would yeah. like to get extended. I, you know, I wonder how that's going in the clubhouse. If you're Roquan Smith or if you are Marcus Peters, are you pissed off at the fact that Lamar can't seem to um, come to a contract decision? And, you know, you, you probably hope the best for Lamar, but on the other hand, you know, Hey, you're, you're kind of getting in the way of me getting an extension. 
by the fact that you can't, you know, come to a come to an agreement with the Ravens. I don't think that? I don't think they care. I, I, I think I think all of these like inter like contractual like locker room like undermining like discussions or things mm-hmm. that like people that work in offices and aren't in like real meaningful <laughs> like in the trenches team environments like where you're sitting next to someone at a desk and don't actually care about them right mm-hmm. but like I, I think i think these guys genuinely and any football team this has to happen care about each other they sure. want to see they want to see the guaranteed contracts happen they know that someone has to break that barrier down i don't think lamar i don't think any of lamar's performance this year has anything to do with his contract i don't think that lamar would be personally offended because Eric DaCosta told him that he doesn't think he does one thing particularly well. Oh, well now I'm not going to play anymore. Like, like mm-hmm. I, I just think all of that is over dramatized that these guys want to do what's the best for themselves, but they're not, there's no, I think some of the residual of it is, is much overblown and mostly circumstantial and random. Like with Flacco, I, I don't think he played up to the contract and then let it go. I think he just had his, it happened to be, he had his best year that year and made him a lot of money. Sure. And then he wasn't as good after that. I, I really don't think there's anything more to it than that. Yeah. And, and I, th- I think that's, I think that's very reasonable. And it's, it, if, if, if you're to make an analogy, maybe it's a little bit like Josh Oliver not going down at the one yard line. Well, Josh Oliver isn't really thinking about going down at the one yard run, even if that had been a, a you know a move that would have won the Ravens the game. Uh, he's you know and not being told to do that is actually the the Ravens coach's fault and the, the sidelines fault to not not have that. What do you by the way? What do you think about that being a point of emphasis? I mean, you know, situational awareness. Should there be some ten-minute segment every third practice that they do on that? No, no, no. It's even better than that, Ken. <laughs> Steve Biscotti and every owner in the NFL should pay a hundred thousand dollars, or a hundred and fifty, or two hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollars to some math whiz that knows what they're doing in these situations. Put them on a headset. And oh, they're sure already they, on the headset. <laughs> then, then there's no, then there's no excuse. Then there's no excuse. Right. If that's already like like to me, it's that they're like they they're turning them off or they're not listening to them I, I, in I those see. instances. I don't think that's where the link is breaking down because Daniel Stern and and his his guys they're already on the headset. But I think I think the problem is that and they're, and they're making the two point decisions and they're they're coming up with 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 those kind of plays. They, I think the problem is not from the Stern and his group to the sideline. I think the problem is from the sideline to the players that they're not getting this this information. You 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 know you got so much information you got to get them in terms of the play call. The play call is already they're having trouble with uh, you know Roman perhaps deciding or, or certainly getting a play call in quickly enough on a down by down basis that you already are down to one second on the clock too often. That's not the kind of environment where you want to toss in one extra command for that player. Uh, so, so it, it just, I think it makes it more difficult. Is what I'm saying. That, de- that defies, that defies everything about what the Ravens do under offense, under Greg Roman to a T though, which is over detail and overload yes. and overdo everything. Right. So if, if that like, and, and what's crazy about the NFL is when players use a word that starts with R, it usually means to the right. <laughs> use a play that yes. means L it means to the left. Right. So have a code word for when a guy needs to go down because it's yeah. time advantageous. <laughs> you right. You add it to the end. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, X, Y, Z, blah, is, blah, 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 time. At the end that of it, you just say time. It's that freaking simple. fantastic idea is, you know, you, 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 you know, you go, this is a Daryl. It's a Daryl, everyone. You know, <laughs> that means you go down at the one yard line. Everybody heard me on the Daryl call. 
<laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's just a great idea. I have no idea why you can't add that code word and, and, and add that as part of the offensive play. So if you, if we're, if we're really thinking about it there, it's possible the analytics guy did, did miss it in this game that they didn't think, Hey, we'd love to get a first down and inside the one yard line even more. But I'm not talking about, so this is the distinction here. Let me, let me clarify what I mean about an analytics guy. I don't mean an analytics guy. I mean a guy literally to only be thinking about time situations exclusively during games. And that's it. He has one job all year long, which is 60 minutes of football time a week, time management. 16, 17 yeah. games a year and playoffs. And all he's thinking about is time management. When he goes home, all he's doing is running through scenarios of what time management yeah. looks like. He's thinking about timeouts. He dreams about Look. how time clock should go. And his job, his only job is to manage time. And I would pay him $250,000 to do that because that would be a huge advantage much. for every team. Yeah, I, And I, no I, one is doing that. I guarantee you no team is doing that. I, I don't know that no team is doing that. And, and I think the Ravens analytics team probably thinks they're doing all of that. But they're, but if, if they're, I, I, you know, I just, I just can't say that no one is doing that in terms of time management decisions on the field. They're definitely game management choices are definitely going on. Is, do we go for it? Do sure. we not? You know, what's, that, what's that, the that leverage? That, what's that the break even? Yeah. But the time management stuff, there are too many, every team messes it up consistently. And it, and it's not just like, and it's, it's play clock issues. It's like letting a play clock run down when you shouldn't be letting the play clock run down. I mean, there, yeah. there are just so many iterations of time being mismanaged in these games. It drives me crazy. It's a, that's another one with a, with a, with a code word, you can have any kind of zebra call. It means automatically you're running the clock down to, down to one before you snap it. You know, you, there's, there, there's certainly things like that you can, you can add in terms of code words. It's a, it's, it's a great idea. Here's here's my thing about this. The time management thing is, in a sense, ancient. Okay, you you could have done this in 1965 football, and it would have still been done. The 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 actual ability to judge the relative win probabilities of things that's much more recent. That's much more it requires node based win probability algorithms and all these other things that are that are much more recent. Come along with computers and whatnot that 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 didn't exist in the 60s. In fact, you could go back. Probably before that, obviously, if you understand how a game is managed uh, clockwise. Somebody wrote a book, by the way, on time management in games. And here is the one example that really stuck with me about this was that on punts, okay, it is it is illegal to bat a football forward towards the opponent's goal line. However, it is not illegal to bat a football towards your own goal line. So if you have to punt the ball, say, with 15 seconds left in the game and your coverage team can get down there to, to, to cover that football that might otherwise say go into the end zone or something like that or the, or the other team doesn't do it, you can bat that ball back in six-inch increments back towards your own goal line and run out the entire clock until they're smart enough to realize we got to go in there and dive on that football. And by then, you've got 11 guys around the football probably trying to block them off it. So as long as the ball is still moving, the time is still allowed to roll. Yeah. And so you just continue to bat it towards your own goal line, you know, 99 yards away if, if, if that's uh, where it is. So anyway, it's, it's, that was the thing that stuck with me is that if somebody's already gone to the trouble to figure that out, you know, that ridiculously absurd thing that's never come up in an NFL game, then you know that, that, that there are teams thinking about it. But – I can think of a five, including this game, I can think of five instances off the top of my head in the last two seasons where guys have not made the right decision in those situations. So whether they're thinking about it 
and whether they're doing something about it. Right, are different things. Seems like very different things. If if uh, if what five of thirty-two teams in the team in the league have done it, that's a huge deficit and a huge advantage to any team to make sure that they're super tight on that and they don't mess it up. Well, yeah, you, you, they do a two-minute drill every every um, uh, practice for for it's one of like eighteen segments or, or fifteen segments that they might do. Um, there's no reason why they couldn't have a bonsai drill of some sort. And they have a bonsai field goal drill they do now. But to just have a situational football drill where you say, hey, uh, it, there's there's two minutes left. The clock is going to run up on that board. We want you guys to do the best you can to run this clock out and not let the other team have it back uh, or put us in the best position to win the game. And and if you had that and, you know, then you're talking about it in meetings and saying, oh, how could we won that? And there's a competition between the offense and defense and you make it fun. I, I would think you'd really be able to get that point across. Yeah, it's well, and I also think just the Ravens are. I, the Ravens are terrible at how they choose to use the clock. I, I like what they do in terms of ball control. I hate how they implement it. I hate so much about what the Ravens do about time management within games. And so it just, that that's what makes me think that no one's, no one, okay. no one's listening to the guy that's talking about it. <laughs> before, before we let your, your, your bleeding hatred come out all over the Ravens, I do want to remind you that, that it, you know, it, in Super Bowl 47, Harbaugh had everybody hold on that final safety, Correct. which, which became great. And, and they won the game against the Bengals where they were going to have to punt the ball away and potentially give them a chance to, to throw the ball into the end zone by having an everybody holds play. So they so, get it right when it's special teams, but whenever it's anything yeah, else, they don't. You're, you're right. And, and, <laughs> and, and that's Harbaugh's influence, right? Like It is. Like, it, it is. Yeah. I, 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 anyway. I don't disagree. Yeah. I, I, it's just, it, it's just to me, there's that when we talk about football being such a tight, like there being so many things that like you like that could go wrong to cost you a game to, to allow any one of those things not to to be within your control when you're running a billion dollar entity or a multi-billion dollar entity in some cases. Yeah. I just can't wrap my mind around that. <laughs> well, that's that's uh, that's fair enough. Let's see. I forget now after all that talk whose player it was to pick. But do, do you have any others you want to talk about? Well, let's talk about, I, I think, in combination, because I think they go together, are Jason Pierre-Paul and Adafi Owe. Um, okay. and, and I think the contrast of them is, is what's really intriguing, because I think that the Ravens obviously value the insight and sage wisdom that years of football and whatever Jason Pierre-Paul has done and what that brings to the table and his kind of like awareness um, to what it brings to the defense where you have on contrast to that Adafi Owe, who is just more kind of physically overwhelming in terms of what he brings to the table. Um, and so I think this game was a good example where Pierre Paul's savvy, especially when you've got a guy trying to just turn the ball out like that does not bring a lot of advantage to you, right? That, that um, unless he's going to drop back in a situation, pull a Terrell Suggs on a screen pass and, and reach out and bat a ball down, you're not going to get a lot of value out of putting a guy like Pierre Paul out there for that many snaps. And so I don't discredit him for having a bad game, but I, I think it's worthy of pointing out games like this one where it seems like Pierre Paul should be a guy that should be getting less snaps because they're like he's not going to be able to get to the to the the passer as quickly as a guy like OA might be able to in winning in a swim move or winning in a quick one-off move. Mm-hmm. I, I it's it's not that I, I disagree with that at all. I I you know, Pierre Paul had one pressure in this game, OA had two. It's not like either of them really lit the world on fire, and and it was it's primarily opportunity based. Uh it was the 
want to say it was the fourth and eight completion that that um, that Owe had a pressure on. He, he bowled the guy right into Lawrence, so that was a nice little thing. He, he, he made some plays in this game. I think, you know, at some point, you know, with all the plays that the Ravens blew in this game, you also just kind of got to tip your hat to Lawrence, which I think we've been doing all along in terms 100%. of he's getting the ball out, out quickly. And just say the other guy beat us in this game uh, at, at some point. But it's, uh, uh, you know, it was it was a tough matchup for the Ravens. It was a tough matchup in terms of relative health of the two teams. It was a tough matchup always being on the road. You know, all the things that seem to go wonky in Jacksonville and, and with the with against the Jaguars really down there um, in particular, were just in full force. It's a it's a it was a it was a difficult game uh, for the Ravens in a lot of ways. I, I'm, I but I do tip my hat to Lawrence as being a guy who matched up particularly well. And, and honestly, the, the lack of variation among the receivers, the fact that they had both Kirk and Zay, jo- Zay Jones and also had, a, you know, Marvin Jones really made them much more dangerous to the Ravens three cornerbacks as a group because the worst of their three was still a lot better than the, you know, the, the, the worst of the Ravens three. Well, without another, I mean, I guess the interesting question to me is, and I, and I thought, you know, Justin Houston played a fine game for, you know, what you would expect from him and Lawrence getting the ball out quickly. I guess the question that you would ask is, is this the kind of game where you go to that three, two dime that we talked about um, and take that pass rusher off the field because they're not overcommitted um, to, you know, longer passing plays. They want to get the ball out quickly, take them off the field, bring in another corner, bring in another safety. Obviously the Ravens may not have had that guy to bring in in this instance or guy that they trusted in that instance, but say, Hey, we're not getting value here. Let's, let's go another route. Yeah. They did take stone off the field for one play and I didn't actually see what happened, but I, at the game, I saw Worley go in and Worley went in about 10 yards. And then he looked back at the, at the defensive coordinators. If what, who am I going in for? They've already got three cornerbacks in this game right now. And then he and then he he went about ten more yards. He looked back again. It's like he really didn't know what he was supposed to do in the situation. Well, the, the problem was the Ravens, you know, only had two safeties in the whole game, and so they had to put in somebody. And they they normally put in Peppy Williams to play safety in in that sort of situation when they're when they're out. Uh, but what, for whatever reason, they put in Worley, and I, I I meant to look where he lined up on that play, and I didn't see because I, it was very noticeable at the game. But that, that he did not seem to know what was going on in terms of what his position was. But uh, uh, weird, weird uh, situation to be sure. And, and it's one of the like, especially if you're going to bring in a guy like Pepe, then you can go into more of a cover, like keep your cover two shell underneath and just put, you know, put three safeties over the top, right? Force mm-hmm. Lawrence to to make those winning throws, take away that that cover two kind of like the cover two corner that Lawrence was throwing into away from him in that game, especially if a guy, a combination of O.A., Pierre Paul, Houston, and Bowser on both ends of that aren't going to get home. Just subtract out whoever that is, either interior or exterior, yeah. and, and at least give it a shot. I mean, it, for, for that final drive, that would have been, I think, very effective because that would have forced – in the middle throws between the two outside guys. In fact, they often will line up, you know, with an outside linebacker right on the sideline to try and converge and stop people from getting out of bounds. But if you're if you're if you're four wide underneath and three over the top, and you have a four man pass rush and you commit to that, I you know, there's a lot of things you can do uh, to to make a tackle in bounds or increase the chance you make a tackle in bounds because your your throw is going to be forced between the numbers. Yeah. 
totally. It, it, it's an interesting, I mean, you know, this is one of those hypotheticals we, I guess, we're probably never going to find out the answer to. The Ravens are going to stick with these outside rushers, and they're going to keep, you know, three of them or two of them on the field in those situations and and not kind of undercommit, so. Uh, okay. Let's uh, take a look at, I want to see if there's any kind of film study mailbag. We should be question. We should be getting at if, the, if that's, it. we got one here from Andrew Kramer, Matt Mercator, 88. Um, is it my imagination or is Marcus Peters turned into a real liability in pass coverage this season? Want to take yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, I think we've talked about that a little bit in that Marcus Peters hasn't looked as good. You, I know you referenced that he doesn't have the same closing speed um, that we've seen from him historically. I, I kind of commented that I, it, it seems like there have been some plays where he's either pulled up or not quite followed through in the same way that we might've expected. I still think he's playing at a high level, but yeah, he's, you know, we're not getting an all pro season out of Marcus Peters right now. Um, you know, if that's the expectation. Yes, I I, uh, I I think that he has probably played better than some Ravens fans think want to give him credit for. He's been a very turnover thing, very boomer bust. But you know what? In a lot of ways, that's what's really valuable about Marcus Peters is that he gives you that wide variation of outcome uh, that's extremely good. I just saw there's a question out here that's been like what we've been talking about this whole episode here. And it's N, N. Warco did not see this before. Uh, but going to give him credit. Uh, similar to the Chicago game, he's talking about Chicago game last year. I don't think we should have taken that last Oliver TD, but run the clock and kick the field goal. Unbelievable. You are exactly on the money. <laughs> that came in at 5.04 today. So uh, you can you can decide from the way I've been pushing for that, whether I had actually <laughs> seen that or not beforehand. But you're, you're, uh, you're right on the money, my friend. I appreciate you, you making the contribution to the mailbag. Uh, Spencer Peterson says broadcast crew seemed convinced Baltimore was going to run, run, run field goal, given the clock situation. The Baltimore Ravens actually uh, absolutely needed a, a, a play for the TD worked out with Oliver TD and subsequent two point conversion. Well, actually, no, it didn't. As we, as we talked about surprised the broadcast who didn't cover the timeout math better. Okay. So he's, what he's saying there is he was sure they were going to run, run, get it under two minutes, kick the field goal, go up by two. But Spencer has, has I think, missed the part that Enworko got correct is that they what they really needed was a first down, but not a touchdown. And that would have uh, that would have really been very sweet in that situation. So uh, once again, I, 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 everybody's contributions to this are, are on the same page. And it, it, it makes me feel good that, that like we're not the only people thinking of this. That it's reasonable to have the t- the timeout, the time management guy that you're talking about, and I love your idea of having the code word for you got to go down, or you know we need a first down but not a touchdown, those kind of words because there's been yeah, or don't go like a, just a don't go out of bounds, like don't stop the clock, like like word, word, like whatever you yeah. know, like there are time words. You know what I think is also interesting about Oliver potentially going down on the one yard line is that even if it's even if you just take an extra two plays to score a touchdown you've either burned timeouts or still burn clock in that process, right? It's not just, you know, it's not just like a, okay, let's kneel. And yes, you could. It's not just necessarily kneel, kneel, field goal, right? But there's there's still opportunities that would have made that significantly more advantageous to the Ravens, even if they would have ultimately scored the touchdown, you know, on that drive. I mean, kneel, kneel, touchdown is your dream. 
Right. So, so that's what you really want to do. And you want to really kneel for zero, but you can't do what the, what the Chargers and the Browns did where the, I, I forget whether it was a, I think it was Eckler, right? Eckler got dragged into the end zone by the yeah. Browns defenders in the, in the game. And that, that created an opportunity. You, you need to, you need to go down, uh, and make sure you're down, uh, once you, once you adopt that strategy. Um, and, and honestly, it wouldn't have ended up being any worse if they got dragged into the end zone on the first play after the, 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 uh, uh, the two minute warning, which was when it would have occurred. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's a sad situation, obviously, but glad to see other fans out here really on this in terms of, of, uh, of what's going out. So we've got one more here. Another one from Spencer Peterson on the first drive would Ravens offense been better served had Robinson stepped out at the 12 rather than stretching out to get it just past the 10. Yeah. Now this is another one where he is. This might be an is nine better than ten question here, meaning would they? It's on the first drive of the game. Hmm. Um, I remember the play. I I didn't think it was the first drive of the game, but uh, Robinson had a big pass game, and as he was running out of bounds, he stretched the ball. He was on the left sideline, stretched the ball out as far as he could as he was going out of bounds, and so obviously they gave him whatever the distance was to gain. And I guess he's implying that in that situation, uh, it made it and goal then instead of and 10 with an opportunity to pick up another set of downs. Okay. So there's a, there was a out for 17 yards on third and four. So it wasn't a question of getting the first down, but that put it at first and 10 of the 10. So I don't know if he means that one. And there was an incomplete, incomplete. I'm trying to find another play that involves right. There's no other play. That's the play he's talking about. Um, I'm not sure I can see a tremendous amount of value there being at the 12 instead of the 10 for a first down. Uh, it does give you an extra chance to get a first down, but I, 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 I'm not sure that having those extra two yards to play with really has a lot of value um, in a relative sense. I probably, I probably would not advocate for that, but good stuff. I will ask, I'll ask you a time question. Were you, so I was frustrated when the Ravens kick, didn't kick it short on the ensuing kickoff after the two minute warning or during the two minute warning. And then I was really frustrated when Ricard returned that ball for 15 yards on that kickoff. Now, is he allowed to give himself up in that instance yes. when he gets the ball and that stops the clock, right? He I can fair Ravens, catch it if he wants to, but he can't. Well, the, it was a dribbler, so I don't mm -hmm. think he can fair catch it. Um, so if he kneels it as soon as he gets it, does that stop the clock? I guess is my question. Yes. Does he have to be touched down? Yeah. So I think the Ravens could have picked up more yardage faster than Patrick Ricard rumbling for 15 yards. Um, I might disagree on this. 14 seconds left. It went to 10 for the 15 yards. I think that's a pretty good trade-off. Fair enough. Okay. All right. So I, 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 you know, it was one of these things at the game. It was surprising. We we were actually on our way of leaving the stadium, and you know, at the club, there was a little bit of commotion there. We finally got over to a TV so we could watch it before we left entirely. And and the kickoff had already happened; they were at the thirty nine yard line. I go, what was the kickoff out of bounds or something? Because I thought it might have been on the forty, but it, obviously that wasn't exactly what had happened. And so I didn't see it at the game, but uh, but yeah, it was a. I I think it was a it was a probably a good play by Ricard. He got down pretty quickly anyway. A really good play by Oliver to get out of bounds, and just you know, unfortunate. Um, he, had, I believe he kicked the a kickoff through that goal, goal post off a tee. So it's a little bit different, but it's 75 yards and, you know, trying to 67 is, is a little closer. Um, do the Ravens have a timeout there or no? At two, two timeouts. Okay. So, so I, 
I don't know. I also, I didn't love that Oliver, if they had the time that Oliver was trying to work his way to the sideline. Oh, good point. He could have gotten three yards. Like if he breaks that tackle to the inside, gets down and they call timeout and gets them two and a half more yards by going vertically, that's the game. Once again, you are, that's two, two and a half more yards. You're saying if to make it a 64 yard field goal, because Tucker would have certainly made that. Well, I mean, if it was the same kick, it would have gone through. Okay, I think I think they were about five yards short. Would have been my. Uh, it, it didn't look that short to me. But either way, uh, either way, I to me, you're just go. You're trying to get as many yards as you can, and hopefully getting down before the clock ends, yeah. um, rather than rather than trying to laterally move out of bounds. You know, it's that's a very valid point, and you know. Boy, that this all came down that to one, Oliver time management. <laughs> oh no, I, that one, that one, that one, I don't put on him. I, it's yeah. just a curiosity that I had in that moment where I was like, he could have juke to the sideline. That guy was following him that way. He gets up five more yards and gets down. You know that 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 can happen in, in two let, seconds. Let me confirm that that's actually true because uh, timeout number three, Jacksonville. Yeah, timeout number one, Baltimore actually happened right before the, at the touchdown two, at the at the two two point conversion during two the two point conversion. conversion. Yeah. 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 So they they yeah they went to bed with two timeouts here in this game. They they never called them. So it wasn't necessary for him to get out of bounds. I guess is is all I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, valid, very valid point. And he can call that timeout himself. In fact, um, I I believe calling timeouts is one of the one of the things you're allowed to do anytime on the field, along with mm-hmm. kick it and one other thing. But I, I I was unable to find that exact rule at some point recently. So he might have had to actually kneel or go down and then call timeout and give himself up effectively. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I certainly don't blame him for that one at all. It's just you know the curiosities of like you know a really close game in those instances. You never know. Just a kind of game that just absolutely frustrated the hell out of us. If this ends up being a, a season where they somehow miss the playoffs, which oh. you know, is always a possibility, <laughs> we're going to look at this game as being one of those that that really got away and in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously you're going to look at all four of these first four losses. Um, I think you know if they don't make the playoffs, so that that's going to mean that they've lost to even lesser teams here down the stretch. I mean, with two games against Pittsburgh and Denver left on the the schedule, I mean it it would be pretty. There's going to be a really ugly loss in there if they don't make the playoffs. They they still have Atlanta left, so you know they they have a pretty easy road to about eleven wins if even if they're not able to beat say the Browns or or beat the Bengals or. yeah, that, that's that's all the remaining games, isn't it? That's They're, it. That's it. Yeah. So, all right, outstanding. Always oh, so much fun to talk football with you, Jordan. Really appreciate you taking the time and and you know over two hours now of uh, of talking football. But we could we could go on a lot longer, I'm sure. But uh, but we have to call it here. Uh, tell folks again where you are on Twitter. Yeah, it's at Raven Sit Room, and uh, I do a podcast with Gabe Ferguson. He's at Gabe Fergie. You guys can check us out at FilmStudyBaltimore.com. We're over there as well. Make sure you, you follow both those guys at Gabe Fergie at Raven Sit Rooms. They're great follows and and they have great content in terms of the uh, uh, the, the the podcast. So I really uh, would encourage you guys to listen to that one. If you're listening to this, you'll probably enjoy it a lot. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. Love to talk to you. Nice narrow topic is always the best. And uh, thanks for uh, listening again for an extra long episode. Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ken. We covered a lot of ground. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.